So now we're, we're in a new series. If it's your first time to join us, uh, welcome in. This is a Wednesday Bible study. We do it here on the YouTube channel and here at the studio most every Wednesday. It's rare that we're not here. Uh, we study different books of the Bible, different uh, series, different books uh, that people have written commentary. And a topic that we're talking about for this series, and this is our fourth installment, if you want to go back and get the other three, you can find them right here on the YouTube channel. You can listen to them on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Uh, if you want to go back to series that we did prior to this, you can use those two avenues. Uh, but if you go way back and want to pick up some of the others from the last four years, you can find all of them at Burgess Ministries, BurgessMinistries.com, uh, by just clicking on the media button. So Pursuit of Holiness, uh, it's from a book by Jerry Bridges uh, uh, talking about our call to holiness for those of us that have declared that we've been made righteous by Jesus Christ. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the uh, all the men who are here. I pray, Lord, you'll be with the, the men that we know had conflicts today that are normally here that can't be here. Uh, continue, Lord, to have a hand on them. Continue, Lord, to refine us into the men that only you can make us. Uh, and, Lord, today as we unpack your word, I pray that we, we that it pierces our heart. And when our heart's pierced of areas of our life that need work, that we respond as we continue the process of being discipled from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity through the sanctification that you have guaranteed to those who have made, right, made righteous and pursue you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so. We, we've talked the first three. Remember last week, if you missed last week's study, guys, if any of you missed it and haven't listened to it yet, I have to encourage you, don't miss that piece of the puzzle as we walk through this book on the pursuit of holiness. You can't miss that because last week, you know, this is, this is that dance that we talk about, about, you know, what has Christ done and, and then what, 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 what is it that we do? And, of course, as part what we're going to find out again today, every bit of this is accomplished by Jesus Christ. And so that we're going to establish solidly today. But then Jesus Christ says, I, this is who I am, and I've given you access to me. So if you truly have accessed me, then the holiness that is in me should then become part of you. Because now you, now, now you and I are, are together. I've, I've given you access to the power. So this, this, uh, this one's going to talk about the holiness of Christ. I mean, if we, can we depend on the holiness of Christ? And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin, underline that, he who had no sin, then to be sin for us so that in him, underline that, we might become the righteousness of God. You can almost do this whole chapter with just that verse and be done. What, what Paul is telling the church at Corinth is, he, he was sinless, he became sin for us, so that in him we then might become the righteousness of God. Now what's important about that is we certainly have been, we have forgiveness available in Jesus Christ, and I think where we have the problems is that, that somebody, and I know a lot of us have been confused, that Jesus has saved us, but we also have to understand he also has changed us. You know, this new creation thing is not a mild statement uh, that the Bible continues to talk about. Can you slip out there and let Bill in? He's, he's trying to come in that door right there, uh, and we'll let him in. So anyway, so keep in mind, he says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So if Paul is saying that, he's saying, really, Jesus can make us righteous because he is fully righteous. So to speak further uh, of the holiness in ourselves, it, it's well that we also consider the holiness of Christ because the holiness that the Bible says should be found in us, as we've talked about, the very convicting 
uh, part of the Bible that says, I am holy, so therefore you be holy in all your conduct, not just some of your conduct. Well, how does that accomplish? Well, that's going to be accomplished, what? In the, in the fullness of Christ. So, so we have to, first of all, say, well, well, let's document today, if Jesus says we have access to him, what, what exactly should that have give us access to? And so that's the holiness of Christ. We need, first of all, to be firmly grounded in our security in Christ. Because that's the reason why I've, I've said so many times, and it had to be said in my own life, I don't know what it is, that, especially dealing with males, and I guess it's just the way God designed us. It's almost like the last thing that we ever consider when we look at our life in shambles is one thing that might just be the problem. You might just be lost. You know, and because what we've tried to teach here in the last four years through the discipleship of all the men that have been coming here, if, if you are being discipled in Christ and you truly have been made, been justified by Christ and, and his full righteousness has entered your spirit and made it from dead to alive and that hasn't changed you, then we have to come to some conclusion that Jesus really isn't who he says he is. Because if you haven't been changed, it's not a lack of Jesus' ability to change you. It, 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 it's because something is not right in your relationship with Jesus. So let, let's, let's unpack that a little bit, the full implication uh, of be holy because I am holy. Uh, this allows us to see more of our own sinfulness. Uh, if, if you ever get to the point where you don't understand how sinful you really are, then he says, I'll tell you, one way to do that is just look at the holiness of Christ. And, and, and compared to him, we see how sinful we really are. I, I've told you this so many times about reason why we all shy away from holiness. One of the reasons why people shy away from holiness, and I'll tell you why, is because it's so convicting. And y'all have heard me talk about this a lot of times, and, and, uh, but, but, I, but it's worth mentioning every time this comes up. I, I'm telling you, every time I get myself in a place of truly pursuing the holiness of Christ, whether I'm singing songs about His holiness, I'm reading Scripture about His holiness, I'm praying about His holiness, it is without fail that I come under conviction. Without fail. And, and, and I see... That, 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 that I can't, because what, what it does next is this, what it sees our own sinfulness it, see, it, sinfulness, it lets us see how wicked and deceitful our hearts really are and how far, how far we really miss the mark uh, of God's perfect holiness. And then it, you know what, it, then, then it forces us to do, ask the question, why? Why am I this way? Why, why, why am I still in so much sin? Why, why, why is this taking place? And then what? We assess ourselves because if we are looking at, at the holiness of Christ and then we look over and compared to the holiness of Christ, we see that we're deceitful and that we're sinful and that we're ugly. What that should force us to do is what? Run to the refuge of Christ. It just should, should be an under indicator Oh my goodness, I've left the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've left that connection to, to the holiness of Jesus Christ. So if I truly want to be holy and I don't want, I don't want to be so wretched, I don't want to be so sinful. If I truly want to be holy, then I got to run to where the holiness is. Jesus. Right? And we talked about that before in our study we did on uh, spiritual warfare. You know, the, the way that the, the, the adversary or the demons or your own flesh, whichever is causing the problem, and they all three can, all of that is trying to do is to coax us out from the authority of Christ. If I leave the authority of Christ, I'm capable of anything. Because remember we said the flesh did not get the message that, that I'm no longer answering to, to it. It doesn't know that. 
The flesh says, I'm glad the spirit has been made alive, but the flesh is, is going to die and become, you know, uh, going to rot away to nothing. So I'm going to fight for my life now. That's the problem. That's the, that's the thing we got to tell people more often. When you declare that you've been made righteous by Jesus Christ, the, the flesh realizes now that it is not a homecoming game. And the flesh realizes now there's a battle to be, to, to be waged, and that flesh starts fighting for its life. And that's the reason why we need more Jesus, not less, once we become justified by him. So to understand the righteousness of Christ is to understand uh, what has truly been credited to us. You know, think about that. Just use something that, that, um, that is a great analogy for us. What if I had decided that I was going to, and I'm not going to, by the way, but what if I decided that I was today, I was just going to run by your bank, and I got your account number, and I was going to credit $100,000 into your account today. But what if you walked around thinking I'd only put $100 in there? And you start living like you've only got $100 for me, but what you really don't know is I've given you $100,000. That, that would be important information, wouldn't it? And you would go, well, he gave me some money, but all I got is $100. And you never know. Then one day you decide, I want to get to know Burgess better. I really want to know what he did when he went by my account. And I said, let me tell you something. Now that you've come in here and spent some time with me, you've got $100,000. You ain't got a hundred. You got a hundred thousand. You would say, "Oh, I realize what I have access to now. That's a whole different ball game for me. I didn't know I had access to that kind of power." Well, that's what what that's what the adversary doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know that you haven't just been saved by incredible grace, and, and now you want to go to hell. But when, but but down here, it's just always going to be the same. Satan doesn't want you and I to know that Jesus hasn't just delivered us from sin. What do we keep saying? He's delivered us from the dominion of sin. And Satan doesn't want to know that. So that's why so many times we don't understand what salvation and redemption really has given us access to. It, it, it's, it's, it's victory over sin in our lives now. Scripture confirms that Jesus, during his time on earth, lived a perfect life. A life. Let me run them down for you. Ready? You write these down. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 415 says, Jesus Christ was without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, write that one down, refers to Jesus as one who committed no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which we just read, refers to him as him who had no sin. Uh, John, in the Gospel of John, state, I'm sorry, in 1 John, stated in 1 John 3.5, in him is no sin. Then you go to prophecy. In the Old Testament, Isaiah refers to the Jesus to come in 53.11. That's Isaiah 53, 11, the righteous servant. Uh, uh, Psalms 45, 7, one who loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Six different writers in Scripture show the sinlessness of Jesus Christ is the universal teaching of the Bible. So six different writers in the Bible confirm over and over again in the Old and New Testament that at the heart of the Word of God, universally, you will see the teaching that Jesus Christ was and is sinless. He committed no sin. Jesus also says these things, what, about himself. Now, I want you to think about this. In John 8, 46, write this down. John 8, 46. Now, it's one thing for me to tell a bunch of people who kind of like me, hey, ask these guys if I ever do anything wrong. 
Well, I might feel pretty good about that because y'all generally might like me. You feel pretty good about me. And you're probably going to be a little gracious to somebody concerning me. But what if I challenged a person who despised me and wants so much to see me fail? To look at that person and say, you, can you find fault in me? Well, I better be very confident that I have nothing they can find because they absolutely are going to say it if they think they got something. And they're going to try to come up with something. Jesus says to the Pharisees, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? That's a bold statement. To the people that wanted so much to catch him in sin, he was so confident in, in the perfect life he had lived, and he knew that he committed no sin. He said to those who wanted to find it in him so much, can y'all point to anything in my life that shows any inconsistency about what I claim about myself. Can you do that? Can I do that? Well, Jesus said that, that, that he has provided access to the power that we can stand in him and say to the enemy who screams that we must die forever, we're, we're Jesus, he's made us perfect, and we stand in his righteousness. And hey, adversary, hey, demons, hey, flesh, I know you're trying so hard to, to convince me that I haven't been made righteous, but Jesus says otherwise. I'm with him. I'm with him. And, and so the holiness of Jesus was more than simply the absence of, of actual sin. This is big right now because if, we, if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to get both of these things right. It was also a perfect conformity to the will of his Father. So if you look at holiness, as Jesus says the example of holiness, it's twofold. Number one, holiness is what? The absence of sin, but it's also doing God's will. I mean, think about how Jesus really, I mean, he really doubled down on this. He said, I came down from heaven, John 6, 38, if you want to write this down. Here's Jesus. I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of he who sent me. I came down from heaven not to do my will. I came down to heaven to do the will of he, his father, who sent me. My whole reason for being here is to do what my father sent me to do, and what was that? To redeem the world. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm, resi I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to do what my father sent me to do. Look what else he said, John 4, 34. May this be our example. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. That's all I care about. Let me ask you this. When I told you the, the other night, a few weeks ago, when I was with the older pastor that looked at me and said, if you want to know the secret to life, Rick, you know, I love when you have access to an older guy. You know, that's one thing I think is wrong with some of the young guys today, just straight up. I think what's wrong with some of the young guys today is they're thin-skinned, meaning they're not willing to be held accountable, and secondly, they don't look to older men as having any wisdom. They look at older men as being stupid, and they're smarter than the older men. And I think that's one of the dumbest things that young men do today, is to think that they know more than an older man. And, and, and they're arrogant about it, and they don't look at this as a place to go for wisdom. They look at it as that they somehow are more, have more wisdom than somebody who's lived much longer than them and has lived out a life that has proven his devotion to Christ, but somehow he's antiquated and they aren't. And, and I think that's one of the dumbest things that young men do. If you're a young man, don't get, get rid of this attitude that somehow you know more than
than the older men of the church because you probably don't. And you might want to check with them on some wisdom, not that they're above reproach because we're not, but that we probably have some idea what we're talking about and may have lived out some things you haven't lived out yet, and maybe we're sitting here ready to give you some wisdom, and so don't reject us so fast. So what, what, so what he was saying is this to the older man, to me, he said, go find God's will for your life and just do it. You remember me saying, I thought there was going to be more. He said, that's all I'm saying. I don't have any more to say. That is life. Find out what God's will is for your life and then go do it. What did Jesus say? I'm here to do one thing. The, the, the thing, my, my sustenance is to do the will of my Father who sent me. And this is one that really hits home. I guess you saw this in the chapter, John 8, 29. This may be the biggest testimony of obedience that we hear from our Lord and Savior in Scripture about the, how positive he was about his perfection and his holiness. Can anybody make this claim about God the Father? Jesus Christ in John 8, 29 says, I always do what pleases him. Not sometimes. Always. I always do what pleases him. Man, what, what a great statement that we should all take and just lay down before ourselves. Do you have, honestly, do you, don't, be, don't live such a, a life of defeat. I mean, because I know you can feel in this room every time we do, we're doing something on, on holiness. I, 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 wanna, I want us to, to just reject out of this room any thought of any kind of anybody in this room, anybody watching this video, anybody listening to this podcast, that, that when you hear these kind of standards, your first reaction is, that standard's too high. Nah, that's not going to happen. Well, when did we start this? When did it start that we became grace abusers? When did that happen? When all of a sudden the Bible calls us to a standard, who was the first guy that said, that's too high? Never going to get there, guys. Hey, you know, we, we all, you know, I do that little thing. The, if I hear another testimony of a guy that's been justified by Jesus and hadn't changed his life, He's still held captive to all the things he was before. That ain't a testimony. Now, if you want to say, I had some things I used to struggle with, I've seen some victory, now i got new things I'm struggling with, and I'm trying to get to the next place, I sh- that's me. I'm living that. I don't struggle with the things I've always struggled with. If that's the case, something's wrong with my sanctification. What happened? Did Jesus just suddenly not have any power over that sin? No, what it is is I become more devoted to Jesus. Jesus' power begins to deliver me from the dominion of the sins of my past. I was so messed up, though, Jesus had to say, let's take care of the big things first. Let's get the big things handled first, and let's see if we can't get that in line. And once the big things are under my authority, now I'm going to start taking on little things like motivation. Well, that's where I am now. What's your motivation? What would you say? Well, you're obeying me in this, but why? To bring glory to yourself or bring glory to me? Wow, are we at that point? You know, so now, but what, what can I say? Ah, let's don't get into motivation. That's, that's too hard. No, Jesus said, I want to correct your motivation. Okay, correct it. I want to, you know, and, and it happened yesterday. It happened yesterday. I'm sitting there working on this. My wife and I are sitting out on the deck, and we are becoming empty nesters. And so everybody's gone, and it's nothing but Sherry and I, and I'm loving every minute of the afternoon. You know, I love my children, but you know what? Children years are, are I'm moving on. Let's get young adult years. I like that too. Hey guys, if we did our job right, will y'all please leave? Will y'all please go on to the next thing? And we're here for you. Okay, so we're sitting there and we're having a great afternoon together. She turns to the wrong day of Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. 
It's the wrong day. She got the month off. It's not even the one you're supposed to read that day. And we were sitting there talking about what we wanted to do with ministry, and we were talking about this men's ministry. Guess what Oswald Chambers said that day? Never become aware of your own influence. That's the wrong thing to do because that's going to lead to pride. And I said, well, I guess this conversation needs to take a different turn. Don't even be aware of your influence. Don't be aware of your impact because you just do what God tells you to do, and if he lets you know there was some impact, fine. If he doesn't, just keep on doing it. That impact is his glory, not yours. Don't even be aware of your own impact. That was the devotion that wasn't supposed to be read. It was, a, it was, it was several months off. She had just turned to the day of the week, and I said, well, I guess that's what God needed, needed us both to hear today. So, see, now we're getting down to dealing with everything in your life. Motivation, what's really driving you. Are you trying to bring glory to yourself? So, you know, because the only thing good about anybody who says I'm in is Jesus. There ain't nothing good about me. I, I, I need to be more aware of how wretched and how unworthy I would be to be associated with anything with Jesus. And you know what? See, that's that thing that we do. You know, too many people, I've heard this many times, when Moses is draw, you're hearing from God through the burning bush, too many people say, wow, what a bush. And what God is saying, no, any old bush will do. And if we ever get full of ourselves, he's used a jackass in the Bible. Okay? He certainly doesn't need me to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, but he's gracious enough to say, would you like for me to allow you to be part of what I'm doing, mainly to change you. If it changes other people, you don't worry about that. I'm going to change you, and I'm going to tell you something. He is changing me, but it's only he that can change me. I certainly couldn't change me. If I could change me, I'd have changed myself a long time ago. So what he says is his actions were to, to always do what pleases him, but this is just what I'm talking about. But you know what else he had? His attitude and motives were always pure as well. I'm here to please my father and to bring glory to my Father. I'm here to do whatever he needs me to do, and that is to bring glory to him. How about this? And this is what I just talked about on the deck yesterday with my wife. We can have the right action, but it can come from the wrong motive. We can have the right action, but if it comes from the wrong motive, we've ruined it. So the action has to be correct in the authority of Christ, but the motive has to be correct as well. What is your motive for this? Rick, what's the motive, truly, for this, this strategy that I gave you for men's ministry? What is your real motive for men to go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity or for one day somebody talk about how Rick Burgess really had an impact on changing men's ministry? Which one of it is it? Your motive better be right. I won't honor it if your motive's not right. <coughs> so if we really want to please God, our action has to also match up with the motive that says, I want to see you, Lord, be glorified. End of subject. So holiness is more than mere acts. Our motives must also be holy. And you know what? So the reason why that's important, and this is where our mind just gets blown by the great I am. <laughs> I love when Jerry writes this. He goes, because I got news for you. Your motives are known to God even before they were formed in your mind. Don't think your motive can be unpure and he missed it. Okay, so, so even if you're able to fool somebody else, and they said, man, look at this action. I bet his motives are in line too. God's about to be going, no, they're not. I saw those motives before he ever formed it in his mind. It was wrong. 
So true holiness is action, but also motive all under the authority of Christ. Jesus Christ perfectly met this standard. And how about this? He meant for this also to be our standard. Because what are we called? Followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. And what are disciples? I mean, we, we take on the same personality of the person we're following. So, so this is the standard that he is laying out for us to follow. He was born into this world. He, he, he subjected himself to the law of God that he might fulfill it on our behalf. And if you want to write that down, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. He didn't shy away from the standard of the law. He just fulfilled it. And so he said, oh, you want the law to be completely fulfilled? You want to be completely righteous? I've done it. I'll give you access to it. But it's all about Jesus. It's not. It's our best efforts, as we've talked about a lot, will never make the mark. But Jesus in his full righteousness has done it, but he's made that available to us. A serious view of holiness of God, his own moral perfection, and infinite hatred of sin will leave us, as it did Isaiah, saying and uttering about our own lack of holiness. It says if we really take a serious view of holiness and and we really look at God's moral perfection and his infinite hatred of sin. Remember, we weren't afraid to unpack that. God hates sin. And if you are going to continue to be a sinner, then God hates you in that sin. He does. Like we said, the, the real thing to say is that God hates sin and he loves the redeemed. God hates sin and he loves the repentant. Because we see too many times in Scripture that God talks about, as we found in Psalms 5, saying, I hate the sinner, I hate the deceitful man, I hate these things. The only way that God's hatred towards sin is removed from us is if we were redeemed. You know, you, you, you've got some false theology that says, well, even people who just stay in perpetual sin, that God still loves them like he always has. That's not true. Because he hates sin. He loves the repentant. He loves the justified. He loves the redeemed, redeemed, and he won't deny his grace to anyone who is willing to repent. So here we have Isaiah, and he's just in utter dismay over his own lack of holiness, but this is cool. But God and Jesus' moral purity serves to magnify our impurity, and here's what Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So right there you're going, wow. So Isaiah says, I've seen the Lord. And now that I'm fully aware of the Lord, I have to say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live around people of unclean lips. And it says, I am and realizing that, that I have seen the King, I've seen the Lord Almighty. But here's what's cool. Don't stop at Isaiah 6.5. Look at Isaiah 6.7. But we must also receive the same assurance. Look what he says next. See, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Don't miss Isaiah 6, 7. Isaiah 6, 5 says, here's the problem. But then he's looking ahead to Jesus who will solve it. There's always hope in Jesus. No matter how, when you, when you encounter Jesus and you come under conviction, our first reaction is, woe is me, I am wretched, I am doomed, but the good news is Jesus says, repent, and I'll take it away. Oh, so, so, I, so this, is not a, 
this is not an impossible situation for me. Not because of Jesus, no. That's why it's called the gospel. Good news. I've told you that story before about the missionary that was reaching an unreached tribe that had never seen a white man in their entire lives. He had an interpreter with him. He had no idea the tribal language. He takes the interpreter. He meets this man. He comes into this village. You know, they work out, you know, who is this? This is a white person. People come out. He says, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Bam, 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 bam. Just what we just talked about. It's being interpreted into the tribal language. The man who just encountered the first white man ever in his life responded back to the interpreter. The white missionary said, what did he say? He said, that's good news. He'd never heard of the Bible in his whole life. And when he had heard what Jesus did for him, his response, never even knowing the word gospel, was, that's good news. Isn't that good news? But we don't abuse it. It's not just assurance of salvation, and this is what's important, but it's also that the perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to us. Do you believe that? Because I'm afraid that too many people don't really believe that. You believe that you can be delivered from hell, but then the rest of your life is just going to be captive. And one day, when Jesus finally comes back or you die, you're going to be delivered from the bondage of sin, and that really your behavior is not going to change all that much. The only problem with that is that's a lie from the depths of hell because that is not Scripture. What Scripture keeps saying is, yes, salvation is found in Jesus, but so is righteousness. So is holiness. It's really there. It's back to not knowing what you have in your account. You think you have a lot less in your account. Now, this is not some health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You can be holy and still your life around you by the world's point of view can just be tragic. You can be holy and still go through all kinds of stuff because Jesus said what? In this world, you will face tribulation. But always have peace. Why? Because I've overcome the world. He keeps reminding you again, whatever you're going through right now, you know I've delivered you from the pits of hell, and I have taken away your sin, and I've given you full righteousness. It's a tough day today, but it ain't that tough because look what I've done. So always have joy in your heart. Compared to what I've done to you, this really ain't a big deal. We say that at our house a lot. Compared to eternity, compared to salvation, this ain't really a big deal. It's really not. And all this has been credited to us in the person and the perfection of Jesus Christ. Man, I hope you understand what Jesus has given us access to. Part of us growing in holiness is what? The Holy Spirit making us aware of our own need of holiness. Say that again. Part of growing in holiness is that now power of the Holy Spirit. Remember we talking to you about this, about me going into a bar without the Holy Spirit and then going in there with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, two completely different experiences. See, now i got the Holy Spirit. Even when I start getting myself in a bind, that Holy Spirit says, whoa, no, no, this is no good. I pray it every day. Lord, give me conviction when I am wrong and give me that beautiful affirmation when I'm right. Because some of these decisions I'm about to make, I don't know what you know. You know, I've, I've done that dealing with people. And, and now, like I've said a thousand times, and I just want to, beat on my head on this, and I'm trying to get better about this as I grow. Hey, Rick, when you pray for the Holy Spirit to give you conviction, and he does, listen to it. Don't just do it anyway. Have you ever in your life, maybe I'm the only one, a relationship, business-wise, a friend, a family, fill in the blank, something, a job, and you're like, and when it goes south, you know what you say? Man, my spirit was troubled about this. 
Well, yeah, that's why you weren't supposed to do it. Yeah, my spirit was troubled. Did you do it? I did. Did it turn out bad? It did. That's probably why the spirit was troubled. You know, so, so not only do we need to, to, to understand that we now have access to the Holy Spirit making us aware of our need of holiness, but when he does, we have to respond to what he's saying. And that goes back to the verse that we started with, with uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, because what does it say? That the Holy Spirit allows us to become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit makes us aware of our lack of holiness. Why? To, to stimulate us to deeper yearning and striving for holiness. But be careful here. This, here comes another important step you got to take. Though the Holy Spirit makes us aware of our lack of holiness, that is to drive us to a deeper yearning and striving for holiness. But be careful. Be careful because Satan will take this new awareness of how much work still needs to be done and he'll use it to discourage you. That's never going to happen. Never going to happen. How can a man of God have made this mistake today? Such so useless. You ain't never going to change. You ever been there? You ever been in that despair? And you know what happens? You start wanting to do what? Give up. Now, am I saying that Satan can take your salvation from you? I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you that Satan can discourage you to the point you're useless for the kingdom. Useless for your wife, if you have a wife. Useless for your kids, if you have a kid. Useless for whatever you've been called to if you're a single guy. Because you know what you say? I'll never measure up. And Satan goes, yeah. I mean, would a real follower of Jesus think what you just thought? Would a real follower of Jesus watch what you just watched? Would a real follower of Jesus have done that at work like you did today? You're useless and you can't be used. You have missed the mark so bad nobody can use you. And see, what you can't allow that to happen, what you need to do is to, is to do it like it's supposed to. Oh, this, this awareness of my lack of holiness is, is not discouraging me. It's actually driving me to pursue what Jesus has made a, a, available to me, and, and it, it ought to motivate you to do it even more. You know, a lot of times with me, I remember like a guy came to me one time when I was coaching. And this is a perfect analogy of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do for us. And he came over to me and he said, which I have to give him credit for this because I'd have been terrified of any coach I played for to say this. And he said, I don't understand why I don't play more. I said, okay. I said, um, all right, let me help you. I said, do you remember when I put you in the game? And you came right down the middle of the defense, and you were wide open. Yes, sir. And I said, you remember the guy, your teammate passed it to you? And he passed it, I mean, right here. Where, I mean, you, you could catch it right here and score. And you dropped the ball. Yes, sir. And then they picked it up and went to the other end and scored. So not only did we lose possession and not score, they got the turnover and went and scored. Do you remember that? That's why you don't play more. If you'd caught it and scored, you'd play more. So then there had to be an awareness of, I got some work to do. Okay, if I, if I work on being dependable, when I, when I come down the middle of the defense and I get open, if they throw it to me and I catch it and I score, I'll play more. So there was an awareness. There had to be an example of here's why you're not playing more. So he could have been discouraged and just say, I give up. Or he could say, I'm going to work on it. So I can be more dependable, and therefore I'll get more playing time. It, it's, it, that's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do in our life. Ooh, we need a little work right here. 
that, that, that you need to be aware of, of, how, of how you're not where you need to be. It's not to discourage us. Write that down. It's to motivate us. And we must understand this fine balance. We need to flee to the fact that we are saved through his righteousness alone. I love this from, 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 uh, from Scripture. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Guess who wrote that? Paul. So Paul still got work to do. Listen to that. I, but he, you know what he said? When, you're, when you feel frustrated, when you feel Satan saying you're worthless, when you, you feel like you're just getting defeated by the flesh again, and you start thinking, I'm, I'm just leaving it altogether. I'm going to stop this sanctification. I'm going to stop this pursuit. Remember what Paul said to young Timothy. By the way, that was 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So don't get past that land there a minute. It's a trustworthy saying, saying that deserves full, I mean, I fully accept, I don't half accept it, I fully accept Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners like me, who I may be one of the worst. So I'm aware of my situation, but I'm also aware that Jesus did do that, and I still have access to that, and he will change me. Because we don't see Paul doing this at the end when he writes the last letter to Timothy. He says what? I saw myself change, and I fought the fight, and, and I ran the race, and I will receive the crown of righteousness from Jesus. Not I might. By the way, I'm being poured out. I'm about to be killed. Kind of cold. Wish you'd bring that jacket to me. But if you don't get here, just know that, I, that when I die, I die doing what Jesus told me to do. And I'm going to get the crown of righteousness. But he was also aware that he may be one of the worst sinners the world's ever known. But he also was aware of how wonderful Jesus had been and how much Jesus had changed. Full acceptance to that. Understand that balance. The point of, of Christ's whole, his holy life is that he lived on our behalf, and because he lived this life on our behalf, that needs to become important to us. So that, that's the first thing, that we look at his holy life and say, not only have I been saved, but I see he's living an example. You know, I had to deal with this again, and I'm really kind of growing tired of dealing with it, and that is that this, the title of the book that Andy and I wrote called How to Be a Man there, undoubtedly, there's still people that didn't like the title of that book as if Andy and I were saying that we know how to be a man. And I've explained this. Really, I'm getting, I think, for the last time. No, the reason why it was called How to Be a Man, because if you want to know how to be a man, the answer is Jesus. And that's what the devotional says, the pursuit of Christ-centered masculinity. Hey, I don't know how to be a man. Maybe you, didn't, you, know, why we, you know why we titled that? Some people don't know how to be a man. Some people don't know how to be a man because they have a father that's not worth anything. Some people don't know how to be a man because they never had a father. Some people don't know how to be a man because everywhere they look, they see a bad example. All we were saying and continue to say, if you want to know how to be a man, how about when God became one? I don't know why that's so hard to understand. But that was the, that was the purpose of the title, and it's the purpose of the devotion to say the answer to how to be a man is Jesus. I don't know why that's so hard to understand that. And, Chris, I just was one person that has been talking behind our back about how that title, they didn't like it, I'd like to know if they ever read the content of it. 
you know, won't you read the content content of it? If there's problems biblically with the content, now we can talk. Quit being defeated by Satan over something as simple as you've been offended by the title of a devotion. You got to be kidding me. And then when it's been explained, does that sound hard to explain? Does that sound hard to understand? So maybe if you can't understand that, maybe it's your problem. I'm certainly not above reproach, but that just doesn't seem like a hard concept. For, it's a hard concept to live up to, but it's not one hard to understand. I don't really want any other, any other book or any other resource to tell me there's some other way to be a perfect man other than Jesus, because that book would be wrong. So the only perfect example of how to be a man is when Jesus became one. I mean, when God became one in the person of Jesus. So sorry about that. But, um, but, I, but I need to say that for me therapeutically. All right, so, because if not, I'm going to act up here if this comes up again. But all right, so the second point, his life was meant to be an example of holiness for us. And we talked about this in 1 Peter 2.21. Peter says this, 1 Peter 2.21. Peter says, Christ suffered without retaliation, but in the very next verse, he says, Christ committed no sin. So he's saying he suffered. He didn't have to suffer. And he never retaliated for it. I mean, let's face it. Danny talked about this, our pastor, uh, just recently. I mean, Jesus at any time could have said, I'm kind of done with the treatment of this, and, and it's over, and I'm done with it. But he didn't. So he suffered without retaliating, and he never committed sin. Paul says that we're to be imitators of God in, 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 in Ephesians 5.1. Paul says to follow his example as he follows who in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know what else that says for the people that get upset about titles and things? It also says that if a man says, follow me because I'm following Jesus, you don't need to be offended by that either. You know why we keep getting offended by all this? It's really just our own problem. I said before, the reason why we make fun of holiness is because it convicts us. That's why we have words like holy roller and holier than thou. It really means when we see people more devoted to Christ than we are, we got to demonize them rather than be convicted by it. You realize Paul, well, imagine that today with some of the people, hypersensitivity we have right now with the thin skin generation. If Paul were to stand up behind a microphone and say, let me tell you who you need to follow is me. Watch what I do because I'm watching what Jesus did. That's what he said. I mean, he, he said this in Scripture. He's going, he's going to receive the crown of righteousness. He's not sinning by saying, follow my example, church, as I write you the letter, because my example that I'm following is Jesus. So if you don't fully understand Jesus, whatever I do, do it that way. Because I'm looking to Jesus and doing what he did. Right? That, that's, that's also the beautiful thing about some of you that think that this generational stuff in your family is just going to go on and on. Correct it. I'm sorry your daddy was a bad person. I'm sorry your granddaddy was a bad person. That doesn't mean you have an excuse to also be a bad example to your son or to your daughter. You know what you say? I'm going to correct these flawed men, and I'm going to follow the perfect man. And now, guys, I'm correcting it on down. Hey, children, look at daddy. Follow me because I'm now following Jesus. I'm not following my earthly father. I'm not following my, my granddaddy and I'm not following his daddy. I'm following Jesus Christ. He's corrected everything, and he's given us the perfect example, which your daddy will now follow, so it's okay to follow me now because I'm following Jesus. Does that make sense? 
So clearly, the holy life of Jesus Christ is meant to be an example for us. Right? Because what did he say when we're entering by the narrow gate? Who are we following? Jesus. And, and, and the way I look at that visually, because, you know, we're all visual learners, or most of us are, is, and you've heard me use the example before, but some of you are new, I'm starting to see more victory in my life when I've realized I can't casually follow Jesus. I might as well go ahead and just take my arms and wrap them around him. I mean, just get him by the waist. And as I'm coming through that narrow gate, you step, I step. You step, I step. I'm not going to be looking around. I'm not. You said it was narrow. I don't want to fall off on the sides. So as you step, I step. You step, I step. And I'm clinging to you because what? I know what I'm capable of. I'm terrified to, to leave you because I know what I'm capable of. But you've done it right, so I'm going to cling to you. You lived the life for me, so I'm going to cling to you so I can have some of that. And I don't want to turn you loose. Do we dare say, as we follow Jesus, do we dare to say, are you willing to say, I will always do what pleases him? Always. I will always do what pleases him. Now, you know what that means, guys? It's got, it means you've got to scrutinize everything you do. You can't be casual about anything we do. It means that I've got to say things like, am I doing this to please God? Am I doing this to glorify me? Or am I just doing this for pleasure? If you really want to experience unending pleasure, be guilt-free under the will of Jesus Christ. <laughs> There's things that might pleasure the flesh for a brief second, but they always lead to despair. They always lead to disappointment and regret. And you think, why in the world? Remember what I told you before? With my struggles with my own physical weight, my struggles with trying to do better, and my despise of working out, I try to go ahead and picture myself in the truck with that replenishing cold drink they have in the, in the cooler. I don't even know what it's called. It's something the guy tells me to drink. And I sit in the truck, and I think to myself, I am so glad that I didn't ignore this today because this is not what I wanted to do. And the minute I got home and sat on the couch and got out the chips, the first thing I would have thought of is, I regret that. So what I do is I picture myself already on the other side of it, and I go, that's going to be a much better place to be. So if we, if we dare say, I want, I want it, I, everything I do, I want to do to please Jesus, that means that when we get to a situation, we go, I don't want to feel the way I know I'm going to feel when I betray him. Doesn't that make sense? Because we know how that feels, right? I do. I know how it feels to do the wrong thing. It feels terrible. If you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you really sit there and go, I can't believe that I'm stupid. Well, if you don't want to feel that way, then don't do it. Just don't do it. You know, what did Farrar teach us? And he wasn't the first person to say it, but I just remember him saying it. Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. If it compromises Jesus, don't do it. No matter how pleasurable it may be in the moment, spiritually, it'll leave you wanting. And boy, you feed that spirit. Now, that's true satisfaction. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So, and another thing, and this is what I struggle with a lot. We also must take on his view of other people. Eh. Eh. Do we see other people as people that he also died for? 
by the way, let me tell you before full disclosure, for me, that's a big no. But I'm working on it because this is an area where I, I need help. You know, there are some people that I look at, and they're so undesirable, I'm thinking Jesus died for some people, but maybe not this person. But what Jesus said is, oh, they look a lot like you did when I had to convict you. You know, I don't know if you know this. A lot of people thought that about you, Rick, because you were so undesirable. And nobody wanted anything to do with you for the right reasons. And I was gracious and merciful enough that I've given you the wife you have now. You deserve that. Why would a woman of that quality want anything to do with you without my intervention? I've often wondered that. You know, believe it or not, most women do not dream of a drunk, partying, long hair, rolling into a broken down car with two little kids from a marriage he's already destroyed. Most little girls don't dream of that in their little bedroom. But Jesus was, was gracious enough that he gave me Sherry when I didn't deserve her. And then I'm going to turn around and deny that kind of mercy and grace to other people? you got to see them the way Jesus, even if you can't see them that way, I can't. But I can certainly see Jesus on the cross going, you know, that person was included in all this. we got to see people the way he sees them. I like this, what John Brown had to say. I hope I can say this one word I've been practicing. <laughs> Austerities, is that right? I'm practicing, even, no, we're not even there yet. Holiness does not consist in my mystic speculations enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. He says, don't put on some grand production about holiness. Holiness really is just simply, just take it down to think like God thinks and, and, and be in the middle of what God wants you to do. Think like he thinks and wills what he wills. Do his will and think like he thinks. That's holiness. Don't, don't make it such a grand production to everybody because then that's bringing glory back to yourself. Holiness does, does not mean adhering to a list of do's and don'ts, mostly don'ts. It's not what it's about at all. It really is what we were taught by Jesus. I have come to do your will, O God. Hebrews 10.7. I have come to do your will, O God. This is the example that we are to follow. We follow Christ's instructions by doing the will of the Father. Now, why is that important? I'm here to do my Father's will. I do, everything I do pleases Him. Well, Matthew 7, 21, and we'll finish with this. We mentioned it before, but I think it's worth mentioning again because these exact words are used in this chapter. Jesus says this in one of the more convicting parts of the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But listen to this, listen who will. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, that sounds an awful lot about what he was saying. I came here to do the will of my Father. If you see people talking about me, but they're not doing the will of my Father, they're fake. Matter of fact, he goes as far as to say this. Look about those. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you're workers of lawlessness. I guess that doing the will of the Father is pretty big. Because Jesus says, that's the real deal. Who inherits the kingdom of heaven? The ones that do the will of my Father. They're the ones that have been truly been redeemed. 
They're the ones that were truly justified. They're the ones that have received my righteousness in full. How do we know which ones are which? A lot of people talk about you. People go on award shows all the time, Jesus, and they thank you for an award. Do they do the will of my Father? No. Then that's just, that's just words. I don't know who this person is. See, I, Jesus, Jesus says, I don't know these people. The ones that I know are the ones who do the will of my Father. Meaning, that the righteousness that Jesus has afforded us is so powerful that when we access his complete righteousness and his complete holiness, the result of that is we begin to do the will of God in our lives, not our own will. It kills our self-will, and it promotes being in the center of God's will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all the men who have joined us here. Thank you for this very convicting chapter. Thank you for all these verses in the Bible that just keep saying the same thing over and over and over. Uh, Lord, I pray that all of us, as we are listening to this or watching this on YouTube, will take this message today and we will just assess where we are. But, we, but, but not just to, to, you know, to discourage us today. I hope today this message has inspired us to remind us of what you've given us access to. It's not just to discourage it's to inspire, to say, hey, maybe today somebody said, I didn't know I had access to all this. I've been, to- I've been told this was limited. I didn't realize I had access to the fullness of Christ. Yes. Jesus said, you seek me with, with, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you will find me. Seek me and you'll find me. Hey, listen, as we pray, he's not withholding himself from you. Just, just completely submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, repent of sin, and say, I want access to this righteousness. And if you've already been justified, but something's convinced you, convinced you to stop the sanctification process or has discouraged you to give up, today be reminded that is not of God. That conviction is to inspire you to go deeper. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to, to refine your people into something that looks nothing like the world in which we live and that people be drawn to the hope that's found in our lives that we found in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.